come to Berlin. Ich bin ein Berliner. Everyone, welcome back to your story. I'm your host Ian Kath, and this is episode 69. Glad you got a hold of the show, and it's good to be able to put another episode out for you because I've been back in Brisbane a little while after spending a couple of months in Berlin. The reason I was in Berlin was to meet some interesting people and try and make a few things work in a few different ways. I put out a few episodes, as you may have already heard, but I also put out some episodes for my other podcast, Create Your Life Story, at createyourlifestory.com. If you haven't checked it out, it's a great resource of information to help you to be able to record your own life story or the life story of somebody in your life. It's worth checking out for those reasons. But today's episode is a unique episode. It's the first one of these I've done, which is going to be a two-parter. And that's because this particular episode has two major elements to it. The second element we'll worry about for episode two, which is coming up after this episode. But I just want to remind you, if you want to get hold of me in any way, you can always send an email to me at chat at yourstorypodcast.com. Or you can get me on Twitter or all the social networks. I'm Ian Kath on just about everything, and you can check them out. If you want to hear a little bit about my time in Berlin, if you go to Audioboo, which is a tremendous platform for recording up to five minutes of audio at a time, I recorded pretty well daily audioboos of what I was observing while I was in Berlin. It was quite an easy thing to do. You know what it's like when you're traveling. It's very easy to notice things that are different, things that you want to comment on, things that you've observed. So I did that for the entire time I was in Berlin. It was a wonderful thing to do and it it was a great deal of fun to do it as well. But if you want to check that out, just check out audioboo.fm slash Kath, and you can hear all the audioboos that I did while I was in Berlin. I just want to remind you that the music, of course, comes from IOTO Promonet at IOTO Reliance. They're the people who give me the music so that I can jazz these episodes up a little bit. And if you like it, just go to the links at the end of this particular episode and you can find out a little bit more about the music that I've used here on the show. But I don't want to mess about too much. I just want to get into today's show and explore the world of someone, an expat, who arrived in Berlin just before the wall came down and has seen the changes both from the end of the Cold War through to today. The way Berlin has transitioned and become this new city that it's still evolving into. When I was there, I could still see the remnants both of World War II but also of the divided city that it was when the Berlin Wall was there. So we've got a little bit of an insight into what that world was like from an expat's point of view, and also someone who's set up an absolutely wonderful, wonderful place to hang out in. And as I mentioned in the episode, it's definitely worth checking out. There are links on the site at yourstorypodcast.com for this episode, episode 69, and you can go and check out the bookstore that we're talking about while you're in Berlin, if you happen to ever get over there. But let's explore the world of Kreuzberg, Berlin, before and after the wall came down, and what it's like to form a community in Berlin, because this is Sophie's story. Eighteenth of March, 
2012. Hello, Sophie. Hi there. Welcome to your story. This is all about you today. Ooh. It's all about you and who you are in this amazing bookstore that we're sitting in. What part of town are we in? What part of Berlin is this? No, this is Kreuzberg. This is Kreuzberg, is it? Yeah. Okay, so we're deep in the heart of Kreuzberg, one of the trendiest artistic parts of Berlin. And I discovered this, well, if you've listened to any of the audio booths I put out, this eclectic, odd bookstore that we're sitting in that Sophie owns and runs. And it's a mishmash of some extraordinary things. I'm going to try and get a few photos to put up on the site to accompany it because it really is a wonderful place. And if you're ever in Berlin, you've got to come here. But we're here to talk about you and your story because it's an interesting story for several reasons that the listeners will learn all about as we get into this episode. So how long have you been here in Berlin, Sophie? Oh, well, it's a matter of um, dispute in some ways, I guess. I started coming here and spending a lot of time here a couple of years before the war came down. Like 86, 87? Yeah, the late 80s. I guess the last 15, 16 years I've been here most of the time. Where are you from originally? I'm from London. Oh, okay, right. Why Berlin, first of all? Um, Especially before the wall came down. Like, did you come to East Germany or East Berlin? Coming or West to, no, coming to, coming to West Germany. West Berlin. Um, I don't know anymore how people think about those days. I mean, I, I still remember, like, the first time I arrived in Berlin. Okay, I knew people from Berlin, but I didn't have any idea, really, what Berlin was like. And I thought... I guess, kind of standard spy who came in from the cold, the sort of grim city and some sort of major concrete wall running down it and, yeah, bits of the wall still around and that. And, like, the first night I arrived, it was raining. I got a taxi to the flat I was staying in and just sort of, oh, it's like that. Next day, bright sunshine and... Okay, come on, let, let's take you out in Berlin for a bit. You know, like okay, first thing you need to do, let's go and have a look at the wall. And it's about kind of five, ten minutes walk away. And um, go out and just go over this bridge and catch sight of, of the wall. And I can still remember the thought going through my head. This is this is a scene from Yellow Submarine. I've just jumped into. It was like this long grass kind of parkland leading up to the wall. The wall itself was psychedelic. I mean, it was that all over. You, you just don't. I mean, most of the pictures come from the East German side. The West German side, it's like they had. Go five, ten, fifteen layers of graffiti painted on it, and the whole effect was this strange, <laughs> colourful thing. A Berlin through. acid trip. Oh God, yes! And then there were the viewing towers that they built every five hundred meters or so, at least in, in this area. There were these viewing towers, like big wooden structures. I guess they'd go up to eight, nine metres, ten metres maybe. There'd be a set of stairs and a platform. And you could look down <laughs> over the wall into East Berlin. 
I don't know, they should have had a, a, a penny-per-view telescope, really, because that was the whole idea of it. Just yeah. Take a look down. Wait a minute, this is, this is the front line of the fight against communism. This is the Cold War in action. This is... They didn't have viewing towers and war, did they? <laughs> uh, oh, I mean, the absurdity of things. And you have a lot of people still regretting unification in a lot mm. of ways. Mm, because, uh, well, the atmosphere in Berlin, it, it was a different city, though. I mean, it was very much a, a city that they you know, was losing population most of the time. I mean, Even from West Berlin? Oh, God, yes. Okay, you're a German, and okay, where do you want to live in Germany? Do you want to pick the place surrounded by the Russian army that's got probably like the major spot where World War Three might break out and you know, well hmm. Hmm. Um, there or Frankfurt or Munich or somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean Kreuzberg, I mean it's now the just people so who pe- came here. People who who are listening, they just need to know this used to be part of the old East Berlin, wasn't it? Uh, no old West Berlin. You, this, this part here this is West Berlin. This part here was West Berlin. Okay. This is about Oh, 10, 15 minutes walk from where the wall was. It was right up against, I mean, Checkpoint Charlie uh, is Kreuzberg. Oh, that's the Kreuzberg, main Kreuzberg crossing right. to the east. It's, it's so hard. I find it so difficult to actually know where the wall is because it it's convoluted. It's not a straight line. People think it might be a straight line, but it's not. And in actual fact, it's a ring, which you don't even realise until you get here. It's circular. Yeah. Because West Berlin was an island, mm. you know, which yeah. I never knew that. I never knew that. Oh, you still have a thing of people. I mean, as a city, it's quite strange in terms of it doesn't have any suburbs and the surrounding towns are viewed as far more alien places than they would be in a normal city. People in Berlin are brought up to, hey, it's an island, and even now, 20 years later... There's that kind of mentality going on. West Berlin is still very much West Berlin by the sounds of it. Yes, but you, the, 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 I mean, West Berlin itself is divided in terms of if you if you take like Kreuzberg and Schlottenburg, which is the upmarket that used to be the centre of Berlin, the centre of the old West Berlin. Unification comes along, and people in Charlottenburg are a little bit, God, we're going to get deluged by these peasants coming in here. Like, uh, so a bit of elitism you know, was going. should be putting up the barricades kind of thing. And, and, and the, you felt the same in Kreuzberg as well. The thing is, though, in Charlottenburg, most of the people had come because, well, they're nice tax subsidies and things for companies if you set up your head office in Berlin. And those sorts of people who found that useful were employed in those situations. Those were the Charlottenburgers. And in Kreuzberg, it was more the people who, well, if you made it to Berlin and you're an artist, you get really good subsidies and... um, also, you didn't have to do your national service. So here, the thing that the barricades were really against the West Germans coming in. And, I mean, there still is that a bit. Berlin's always been its own city, and the, there's still the battle lines going now in terms of trying to stop it becoming 
the German city that quite a few German bureaucrats would like it mm. to be. And a lot of people would like to see it be another Munich, don't they? Well, well maybe not another Munich. <laughs> <laughs> I think another Hamburg would be nice. They could always do with another Hamburg, yeah. So you came here just before the wall came down. Were you here when the wall came down? That precise moment I was in... Uh, London, but I was going backwards and forwards. Right, so you weren't here the night that it came down? No, not the night that it came down, but I mean, I was sort of around when, I mean, it was all a Turkish thing, actually. I mean, if you will, uh, the people who actually knocked the wall down <laughs> tended to be Turks. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, it's a typical kind of Berlin thing. I mean, there's a huge it, Turkish it, population here, just so people yeah, know. Yeah. I mean, especially uh, Kreuzberg, supposed to be, the Turkish population of Kreuzberg would make up one of the more significant cities in Turkey. Really? Yeah. Yeah, wow. um, okay. yeah I mean, the Turks did most of the work knocking it down, and if you were a tourist, you could sort of, like, wander along there, and how much for a boulder? Oh, <laughs> a Deutschmark, whatever. And, and then the Germans would come along and write out certificates for it and sell them in Kudam for little bits for a ten Deutschmarks each. Mm. Kind of and they're still doing it today. Oh, They're absolutely. still selling chunks of the wall. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's a different thing. I always thought there was a way of telling the difference between the UK and Germany. The Germany, okay, you've got this foreign power coming in and they set up the wall. Okay, finally they go away. Finally there's the retreat and... Right, what do you do? I mean, in Germany, right, they, they knock down the wall as fast as they possibly can do and in lots of ways try and erase that history. Whereas in England, we keep it up for a couple of thousand years and then charge American tourists and money to walk along it. It's kind of... Yeah, and they got the wall down within months, didn't they? It, the majority of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and now mm. the few bits of wall that's remaining, they've got major heritage restrictions on it being like, well, we've got to hang on to some of it. We don't yeah. want to lose it all. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. which I think is entirely relevant too. Yeah. I was um, I was down, where was I? I was over on the north side um, having a meeting and I was up high in a building and looked down on this vacant bit of land, which was a bit of the old border zone. And there's three or four panels of the wall just sitting there. They don't know what to do with the land. Mm. Then, you know, how are we going to develop this? But there's still a bit of the wall standing on it. It's just yeah. very odd. Yeah. Just, just sitting oh, there. These funny bits of history in Berlin, I mean, the, from, the, from that and also from the... I mean, one of my favourite bits is you walk along... Oh, it's about ten minutes' walk from here. You walk along the road and you sort of look off through a few trees and you see this bunker, um, or what you think is a bunker, there were these bunkers built in Berlin that were really old ones, pre-war, sort of almost First World War kind of thing. They looked like gas holders, big round cylindrical buildings with really heavy walls and in, in, uh, to stand up to a mount of bombing. The one along the road is a particularly strange one because it's, it isn't a bunker. It's actually a most enormous cylinder of concrete it's just a one big block of one con big block of concrete you want to guess why no why 
It's because of uh, Germania, because when, uh, this goes back to the Nazis, but uh, there were all these plans for Berlin to become Germania, the 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 centre of the German, yeah. Yeah, and that's why Hitler had no problem with it being bobbed to oblivion, because they're going to have to knock it down to rebuild Germania. And all these huge plans by Albert Speer for these enormous buildings, I mean, larger than you'd ever seen Mm, before. mm, I've seen the big dome, that is massive. the thing is that they weren't sure exactly how the ground would react. These structures that they were planning were so large, they thought, yeah, I mean, they were still into the hollow earth theory and things like that. So what they decided was to just make this huge cylinder of concrete and let it sit for a couple of years and see what effect it had on the ground underneath. <laughs> So they built a cylindrical concrete mountain, basically. Yep. Goodness. Yep. This, this is the Nazis. Yep. Yeah, okay, okay. More crazy things that they did. So when you came back, let's continue talking about this, because I haven't had a chance to talk to anybody about what it was like during the change, when the wall came down. When you came back after you were in London, when the wall came down, you must mm-hmm. have come back shortly afterwards. Mm-hmm. What did you notice? Lots of uncertainty. Or hope. A lot of uncertainty here. I mean, it was still unification and the war coming down. In between those two was about a year or so. Okay, I mean, everyone knew it was going to happen, but it was still what what is actually going to how what are the terms of unification going going to be? Yeah, there was still like the black money changing in. by Zoo Station. Explain the black money. Oh, the um, people speculating on um, East East German, the East German mark against the West German mark. Oh, okay. Uh, you, Tra- actually trading in marks. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, missed opportunity. I really... <laughs> the money that could have been made on that. Well, because the, the exchange rate, when it finally came to it, it was done on a one-for-one basis, which okay. was economically just totally irrational, but it helped by Helmut Kohl the election. I, I think probably more people were kind of going to the East. I mean, there was more interchange, but it was still the same thing. I mean, I mean I'd normally go through on the U-Bahn to Friedrichstrasse, so I'd, I'd get on the underground train here, and it would be about five stops, something like that. There'd be the, the three abandoned stations. And that, that was so lovely, going through the empty stations. And, and you just there. went straight so, through the abandoned stations? The train just doesn't stop? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you'd, you'd, you'd see <laughs> what would happen if you left a station for 30 or 40 years and didn't do anything with it, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. And what was that? Just slowly... Fills with a bit of litter and dust and things that blow in. Yeah. Flotsam and jetsam. Yeah, sort of slightly ghostly thing going through it. Did they have any lights in those ghost stations? Do they keep them illuminated or...? I think they they must have had some minimal thing just in case there was any escape attempt or anything. And then you'd get through to Friedrichstrasse and then you'd go through the different checkpoints there and you'd get your 30... Ostmarks. You have to change because you had to spend. I think it was thirty uh, marks in in the east before you came back. Oh, okay. 
That was one of the difficult things, what you could actually find. To buy. <laughs> yes. Well, they just wanted hard currency, didn't they? And oh, well, yeah. Basically, if you just left the money there for them, that's probably would have done them just as well. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, I wouldn't mind some pomfrites. Do I want to stay in the queue for three quarters of an hour, an hour, and get some, and use it that way, or whatever? Mm. Right. So... When the ball came down and it all changed, well, did it change? Did it? Did you? Did you start to see the vibrancy come back to the city? Too much vibrancy coming back. I mean, it was a very vibrant. Kreuzberg itself was the whole. I mean, the three lively districts, I suppose. I mean, Charlottenburg was lively but very upmarket, mm. bourgeois kind of place, and then there was Schoenberg, which was always like the gay centre of Germany. Which is where I'm staying. Um, well, <laughs> then Kreuzberg was the main, Kreuzberg was the scene. Kreuzberg was artists and weird bars and the squatting and yeah. all of that. And what happened with unification was that Kreuzberg became the seed for so many other districts that people from Kreuzberg are the ones who first of all went into Mitte because, hey, we can squat here and maybe we can actually stay here for a few years because the whole ownership situation was taking ages to sort out. And then when that did get sorted out of it, it was like, OK, right, where do we go now? Oh, let's go to Prenzlauer. Um, Prenzlauer. Yeah. Um, but that got squeezed out really fast. I mean, that's now just a really, just a yuppie district. Mm. Um, then things moved to Friedrichshain, then back to Kreuzberg, and more recently it's like Neukölln, and now people are making noises about bedding. It's this whole strange travelling frontier. As the artists and the people who are on the fringes yeah. of society move to the next place that's... Yeah. Gentrification chases them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. It happened. It's happening all around the world. Has been mm. for twenty, thirty years, big time. Mitter, was that a wasteland in in a lot of ways when the wall first came down? Because it's probably the hub of Berlin now, isn't it? It's the hub for certain things. It's the hub for the kind of the museum culture. The hub for some of the more upmarket department stores. I mean, traditionally, Unterdain Linden and Potsdamer Platz were the old centre of Berlin. Yes, it is the centre, but it's not as much as pre-war at all. It's more even, because the, the whole infrastructure built up around Charlottenburg as the centre of the West, that's still that. Right, right. So tell us about the, this bookstore that we're sitting in. When did you start this? Oh, I started it when I needed something to do, and it was 13, 14 years ago now. So what did you do between when you first started coming to Berlin and starting the bookstore? Well, I was doing other things in England, investing in little bits and little bits of property stuff. And then when I came here originally, I got a little cottage outside Berlin, still doing up. <laughs> But really, I wanted something to do inside Berlin, and I had oh, about twelve, thirteen thousand books, which I brought over from England, and just my private library, and thinking, well, why not do something with those? 
Also the main thing being wanting to have a place that was an English language meeting place because I'd seen so much in Berlin I mean, meeting native English speakers and looking at how every meeting with this sense of where did all these amazing extroverts come from? And it's, it, I mean, they weren't extroverts. It was just, hey, I'm in an English conversation. That's great. <laughs> just take out everything that I left packed up because I haven't been able to express it in German yeah. or for whatever reason. I think probably more than the books was the main thing I wanted. So the intention was to start a meeting place more than a library, more than a bookstore? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And the bookstore is just the mechanism to make that happen? There's a bit of both. I mean, you know, I've always read enormous amount. I guess reading is a cultural enterprise I support. Mm -hmm. And doing it the way that I've done it also, it's not really like, oh, doing it at a bookshop in a really commercial sense. There's the whole system of lending books. I mean, most of our business, certainly with people from Berlin, it's people coming in borrowing books. Mm. Mm. Very much a library. Yeah. yeah. How does the actual business, how does the bookstore lending side of things work? How does, if somebody comes in here and finds a book they like? Oh, well, if it's a lending-only book, I'll take a certain amount of perverse pleasure in saying, sorry, no, you can't buy it. Um, but you that, can borrow that, it. That, but you can borrow it. Um, there's about one, one in seven books are, are borrowing only, and that's sort of strictly like a library. There are a few books just for sale, but most of the books, it's it's your choice. You can buy or borrow, you pay the sum, and you'll get that back, minus 150, if you decide to bring them back. But an important part of this place is the community, the community hub. Now, I've seen that play out a couple of times. When I first came in here and I was told about you, Sophie, you said, I ought to come back on Friday night for dinner. Mm. And I thought... Yeah, that's an unusual idea. Okay, I've never been to a bookstore for dinner before, and what's this about? So I trotted along, and I met all these people, and, we, and a lot of them are travellers, you know, people who are just mm. passing through, and we just sat down and started conversations, as you do. Mm. Tell us about that. Why did you start that whole idea? I mean, I wanted to have a, a place with a social dimension, but how that would plan out, pan out, I just didn't really know. There was also the thing, I mean, initially... I thought, okay, something to do. And I thought of it like a a normal business. Then it was like the first few months, really, just every every person's reactions kind of being more like, no, actually, I'm running an institution here. It's not a business. It's something else. It's like a way station or something. Yeah, it's very much a traveler's thing. I find the vibrancy when I come here and grab a plate, pay five euro, go downstairs with a beer and sit down at a table with these people you've never seen before and it's, so where are you from? Mm. Oh, I'm local. Oh, I'm from Canada or I'm from mm. Ireland. And, and then the conversations start. And mm. I've been here a couple of times now and re-seen a few faces, a couple of familiar faces, mm. people who've been around for a little while. And it's wonderful. It's an incredibly vibrant thing. And we just had my birthday party here the other night with a heap of my friends, a lot of my German friends who I introduced to this place, who didn't even know was here. I mean, okay, it, it, it is, it does have a business dimension, but my customers are my friends. 
you know, it's a, a lot the way that it works with the whole library thing. But I get to know what people like to read, I get to talk to them, and it's just a gradual, it's a whole social relationship mm. as well. Yeah. And some of your friends have been around for a long time, haven't they? Oh, yeah. 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 So they would have seen quite a few changes in the way the shop's been, but also in you. Uh, to a certain extent, yeah. So let's, let's go with that segue and let's talk about the change, the transition. Ooh. Maybe it's, mm. maybe it's best to take us back to how things were once. How things were once. Um, And that's part one of Soapy's story. Come back for part two on episode 70, all about change, transition, and dealing with it. Find more great podcasts at lifestylepodnetwork.com.au.